0: So it's getting cold outside and and this might be normative to some people but i'm a southern boy so i noticed that it was getting cold outside and so uh it's taken me a second to get acclimated uh the first two winters were fine i guess i just still have my mind on the fall right now so i'm wanting it to be a little warmer than it's going to be and we can just kiss All goodbye, but I'm thankful to God that I can feel the cold. Somebody wishes they could walk outside and be able to feel the cold breeze on their face. So it's in everything that we give thanks to God. Uh, We're going to start in um, the book of Acts, chapter 10. We're uh, moving right along in the book of Acts, and as we go through this passage, it's pivotal uh, because this is a very important and critical time uh, in the and the birth and the life of the church, um, they're supposed to go by mandate to Judea, to Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. And we see through persecution and the persecution of Stephen that they have left Judea and they're in Samaria and they're doing works there. But God is about to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And as we looked in Some previous Bible studies before this Bible study, uh, we learned that it was God's plan the entire time to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and to bring the Gentiles and the Jews together as one. Uh, to be one fellowship and to be one church that's been God's plan he loves his people and he wants to bring them together and he has started uh, with the Jewish community he has started bringing his gospel there uh, down through the line of David he has let Jesus come and Jesus has died for the sins of the world and now We come to a critical point, and there are several things that you can look at in this passage, and uh, of course, we know that this is in the book of Acts chapter 10 is where we're going to see the gospel begin to really, really spread to the Gentiles, but I also want to extrapolate another truth from this passage, so we're going to read starting at Acts chapter 10, uh, going to verse 1 through 6, and if you could, if you read with me, Uh, ready and let's read. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Hmm. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Lord, speak your servants, listen, and we'll give you all the praise in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I wanted to start by saying... I know a lot of times we we give a lot of credit, and the church has had a lot of movement through missionaries and things of that nature uh, from the female element. Women have played a critical role in the life and the growth of the church. You see people like Lydia and other people that are helping to spread the gospel, and many times in church, we spend a lot of time focusing on, on the contributions that women made in To be honest, they are great and there are many that women have made to the church. But today I want to focus on something uh, a little different than that. I want to focus on the contributions of this man because there is something extremely powerful about a man that is devoted to God. We almost always expect women to be devoted to God. Mama will bring her kids to church sometimes, and, and Mama will bring the kids to the church, and Daddy may not come, but the truth of the matter is, if Daddy comes, everybody else tends to come. Statistically, if the male shows up uh, in the household and he's the leader of his household, statistically, the whole family tends to show up. So there's something extremely powerful about a man that is devoted to God, and we see this man named Cornelius, who is not a jew but he is a devout follower of god and he is living in rome there's something to be said about cornelius because cornelius is a roman and jews don't like romans because romans are occupying judea and so the bible says that he is well respected even as a roman among the jews which means that he is some type of man He is a man that is good in character, a man that is fair, uh, a man that is a godly man. And they give him uh, several different characteristics. The first one I want to pull up about about Cornelius that we need to look at. And that's everybody read that with me. He was deeply committed and God-honoring and God-seeking. The Bible says that he and all his family were devout. And God fearing, not just him, but if you have a man that really loves Jesus, real men love Jesus. Did you know that God is calling the man to be the worship leader and the pastor of their homes? And when they do so, that they're able to lead families in- into the presence of God. And that it is important that we uplift and we uh, we train men to st- take the rightful place that God has called them to take, because there's something extremely powerful about a man that's devoted to God. There's something extremely powerful about a man that leads his family in worship. There's something extremely powerful about a man that leads his family in prayer. There's something extremely powerful about a man that leads his family in Bible study. Oftentimes people will want to come to church to do work and people feel like the most significant work they can do is in the church out in front of people, but I would submit to you that as a man, the most significant pastoring, that significant pastoring that you you will do are not in the four walls of the church but in the four walls of your home that your home is your primary responsibility that you need to start in Judea and your home is Judea that it's important that you start at home and Cornelius is a good example of that pull that slide back up for me because we're going to keep moving down it that Cornelius is deeply committed to God and he's a God honoring man everybody said, real men love Jesus Now, he's about to accept uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in a second, but he is, at this time, he is honored to God, and he is honoring to God, and he is what you would call a proselyte, although he was raised in a culture that is... Uh, polytheistic and has many different gods, and have pulled from the gods of Greece and other gods. Uh, he has decided while he is in Israel to serve the God of Israel, and it's important for us to note that he is doing that because he is a leader and deeply committed. Everybody say committed. It's one thing for ladies to be committed to church, and I expect women to be at church, but I get excited when I see men. You know why? Because when a man is committed to something, he's committed to it. And sometimes men don't necessarily commit to things that easy, but when you see men committing to Christ, you know you're on the right track that doesn't knock the ladies I'm, I'm happy to see all the ladies but when you see men that will show up and serve God with gladness and, and do it faithfully and obedient to God I get excited because the world wants you to think that men aren't interested in the church anymore that that is a woman's thing and it's not a woman thing that real men love Jesus not only was he a devout person but my second bullet point says that he was in, extrinsically focused and generous in helping those in need. When they begin... To describe him in the book of Acts chapter 10 verse 2 it says he gave generously to those in need in other words that he wasn't just inwardly focused not only was he a leader in his home but also he was a leader outside not just in his occupation as a soldier of Rome but he kept his mind set on doing good to people to honoring God to taking care of the poor to helping those that were downtrodden to helping those that were Week. Oftentimes, people get into the mindset of just being big in the church, but I would submit to you tonight that it's not what you do in the church that matters as much as what you do at the home and what you do when nobody else is watching, what you do when nobody else is able to see you give to that needy person. God is looking at all those things, and we're able to get a snapshot of Cornelius's characteristics, and these things should be in the DNA of the man. Not only Was he deeply committed to God? Not only was he extrinsically focused and looking for ways to serve out beyond his community. He wasn't waiting for somebody to ask him or give him a vision of what to do. He was the type of person that said, Pastor, I got a vision to do this. Will you bless me and let me go do it? And I believe it will bless the church. He was extrinsically focused. He was missionally minded, and that's important. But not only that, but he was a man of prayer. A man of prayer. It's important for us to denote that he is a man of prayer. And not only was he a man of prayer, but he was a man of faithful prayer. The Bible says that he prayed to God regularly. In other words, he didn't just pray over his meals. He didn't just say, now I lay me down to sleep. He didn't just pray when he got a bad report from the doctor, but he had a consistency in his prayer life. I submit to you that if men will get on board and when men get on board and some are, and we're thankful for the ones that are in the body of Christ, that when they begin to move and pray, God moves because he honors things. The Bible says that God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, man is the head of the woman, the servants of them. In other words, that when things get lined up in order and men take their place and they begin to lead in their homes and they begin to pray in their homes, things will trickle down and blessings will come when men will stand up and be men. First Timothy chapter two, verse eight says this. It says, I want men everywhere to pray. Lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. In other words, we see several elements in that scripture. Number one, we see temperance, people that aren't over aggressive and over angry, but also we see worship, don't we? Because he says, lifting up what? Holy hands. Put that scripture back up again. Let's read that together because I think we need to dissect that verse. It says, Therefore, I want men everywhere to pray. Lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Lifting up holy hands is a sign of what? worship. In other words, worship is not just something for the ladies and we make excuses sometimes why we don't like the worship or I don't like the music or this, but David was a man after God's own heart and David was a man's man. David was the type of man who would kill people if he needed to. David was the kind that would slew a giant. David was the kind when Saul said, I want you to kill uh, uh, Philistines. He killed Philistines and we won't get into tonight but David brought back proof that He killed those Philistines. David was a bad boy. But at the same time, as rough and tumble as David was, he was so rough and tumble that God told him, I can't let you build my temple because you got too much blood on your hands. But even in the middle of that, David wasn't just monolithic. David was a worshiper. And a myriad of the Psalms are written by David. It's important that our men lead in worship. It's important that our men lead in prayer. Those things are vital to the sustaining of our church that we all work together. We use that word a bunch. Everybody says symbiotic. It's not just the man's church, it's not just the woman's church. It's the it's God's church and men and women are to work together and to function together in the roles that God has placed for them. And when we all get in our roles and we all begin to do what God has called us to do, the church will not only just survive, but the church will thrive. So we see pull that slide back up. We see that he's deeply committed to God. We see that he's extrinsically Focused. And we see that he's a man of prayer, and we also see that even as a Roman, he is respected. Even as somebody who's antagonistic to the culture, there's nobody around that can really find too much to say about Cornelius. Now, of course, we know somebody can find something to say about anybody. That's just how it works. If you've got social media, you know that people comment on people all the time that they've never seen or ever met. And they tell you all all the stuff about who that person is and they've never met them. You can do that, but the Bible is letting you know that Cornelius is an upstanding man. And here's the thing. He's concerned about the spiritual lives of his family. And that's important for us to know, because you see in Acts chapter 10, verse four, when he says Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, what is it, Lord? He asked. And he says this. He says, your prayers and gifts to the poor. Let's read that together. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. In other words, sometimes when we give, we might be given with the thought that nobody else is going to know what we give or how we give or what effort we give. But guess what? There's somebody in the spiritual that's on the receiving end of what we do in the natural. That's why one of the reasons, the main reason is that they lied. But another reason that we saw a few uh, chapters back that Ananias and Sapphira didn't make it because the deposit that they made wasn't just having uh, natural repercussions, but they had spiritual repercussions. They said, you didn't cheat. You didn't cheat the church clerk. You cheated God. You lie to God, in other words, that I'm looking at what you do, and we must be careful of how we give our offering not just offerings of money, I'm talking about offerings of time, offerings of kindness to people that we see in the checkout line, offerings to the waitresses that get or waiters that give us food, offerings of kind words to people that look like their head is bowed down because many times we don't realize it, but we are not just doing that for them, we're doing that to God. And it's important that we look at that because I thought that was powerful. He says your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering to God. Have you ever, when I was young and I, I was just getting started, uh, I remember when the ATMs and things started coming out and they were they were really cool and I was a teenager with and just learning some of those things and I realized something. I went to the ATM one time and nobody told me that you had to have the amount of money that you were requesting in the ATM to get, get that amount of money out. So I just thought I could just go to the ATM and take out what I wanted to take out. But that's called robbery, and, and, and uh, you'll go to jail for that. They won't give you money in that you don't put out. But how often is it that many times we look to receive offerings from God that we haven't put in? He says, Cornelius, your prayers. And your kindness have gone up as a memorial offering to God. The Colossians says, when you do something, do it as unto the what? Lord that we don't realize that some actions that we think are trivial have eternal consequences because of what he did. We know later on in the story that all of his household is saved. So from the actions that Cornelius has done, from his giving, from his living, and all those other things, God has heard his prayers. And not only has he heard his prayers, he's chosen to use uh, use Cornelius and to immortalize his name in scripture forever. Why? Because it is from Cornelius is that the gospel goes fully to the what? Gentiles. I ask yourself, are your generations going to be blessed by the way you give? Are your generations going to be blessed by the way you pray? When God does an accounting of how well you treat people, when God does an accounting of how much you love people, When God does an accounting of not how you treat the people you need, but how you treat the people you don't. I wonder where those things go up as a memorial offering to God. Because God takes them into account. Jesus lets us know that even the idle words we speak, we'll have to give an account of. And sometimes as Christians, we tend to forget that. We'll get caught up in the mundane uh, vicissitudes of life and just keep going, not realizing that what we do today could impact our generations to come a powerful thought, isn't it? Let's look at the book of Matthew, chapter 25, starting at 36 through 40. I I'm going to read that, and if they catch up with that, because I didn't put it in there, I want to read this because I want you to hear what the Lord is saying. Matthew, chapter 25, starting at verse 36. I'm going to actually go up a little bit. I'm going to go to uh, 34. So if the media team catches that, Matthew, chapter 25, verse 34, it says this. Oh, they're, cool. they're quick. They're good. Y'all give them a hand back. They're they, they, they doing it. <laughs> they're keeping up with me. Let's read this together. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Keep going. Why? Let's see why. Verse thirty five. They're working on it. They're working on it. I gave it to them at the last minute. I'll go ahead and read it. It says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Wow. Verse 36. Oh, wow. I needed clothes and you clothed me. or in prison and go to visit you. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Cornelius' gifts don't fall on death's ears. I submit to you tonight that some of the things that you do and some of the most significant things that you do in the kingdom of God will never be known by most people. Some of the most significant things, people see what we do because we're standing here uh, and we're preaching over pulpits, but the truth of the matter is some of the most significant transactions in life will happen where there aren't any people around to witness them. Or so we think. Because Jesus knows. He's watching. and, and what, what was that song? Oh, be careful little eyes what you, what you see. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see for the Father up above may be looking down in love. Guess what? You may never get recognition on this side. But God sees. And we see I'm encouraging men today that you may never get recognition for showing up to work and coming home tired and and, and barely able to take off your work boots. But you still somehow muster up enough strength to pray with your children uh, or, or to do a Bible study when you know your eyelids are about to drop out of the back of your head and you're tired. Mothers, you may never get 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 the recognition for taking sick children here or there and doing all those things, but then making sure that you get them to church on Sunday. But guess what? If your children are saved, and guess what? Somebody else may be saved because of what they do later on. Guess what? Even though it wasn't seen by people, it is still significant in heaven. It's significant in heaven. There was an old song that used to talk about when I was little that Jesus was on his way back and and the words of the song said, "It may be morning, may be noon. I don't know children just how soon, but I'm sending up my timber." every day. Now we know God doesn't need our timber for our mansions, but one day we'll sit before a throne, and guess what? God, the Bible says that each man will be judged according to the deeds that he did while in the body, whether good or evil. What are we putting up? What treasures are we storing up? For don't store up treasures on earth where where moths can come in and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves what? Treasures in heaven where moth does not corrupt and thieves cannot... Come in and steal. I challenge you today, when you leave out of here today or tomorrow, find somebody to bless that can't bless you back. Find somebody to bless that don't even know where you go to church and they can't come to the church to tell everybody the good work that you did. Find somebody that you may never see again and share the love of Jesus with them. I'm challenging you because although that may seem like an insignificant deposit, God sees it and God smiles on it and he will not forget. He says to Cornelius, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. You can't physically be at the throne yet, but aren't you glad that your gift can make it before you can get there? Your prayers will make it to the throne before you get there. Your service will make it to the throne before you get there. And now, Cornelius, I have a blessing for you. Send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying there with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel spoke to him and gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and devout a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, this is what I find very, very interesting. When you look at verse 9, we've seen this scene, and here it is the day after. God has sent somebody to Peter and hadn't told Peter yet. I submit to you that God has an assignment for you that you might not yet be aware of. Let's look at verse 9. What does it say? Chapter 10, verse 9, it says about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. (coughs) He's about to pray. He has no idea that God has these people on the way to his house, but God, when he prays, God lets him know and prepares him for his assignment. Sometimes, instead of trying to prepare ourselves to do the work, we should be preparing ourselves to pray so that God can prepare us that we be ready when the assignment will get to us because God forbid that the assignment get to us and we are not ready for he is sending Gentiles to Peter's house might not seem like a big thing to you but to a Jewish person they cannot be seen with the Gentile they cannot be anywhere near a Gentile they can't bring a Gentile into their house it is socially and politically unacceptable to be seen with these people and yet God doesn't care about what's socially or politically acceptable he wants his will done And he's sending these people, and there was a hint laced in the text. That's why I like the Bible, because God has significantly been slowly tearing down walls and divisions. Because if you look a few chapters back, we read that the gospel went to Samaria. And God, what he did was, they already had some prejudices against the Samaritans. And what God is doing is, one by one, he's breaking down those prejudices. And so when they get there, they're already kind of out of the way because they have seen that the gospel will come to other people and so they know that the gospel will get to the Samaritans but that's the Samaritans but God forbid a Gentile Samaritans are bad enough but Lord Gentiles but you didn't pay attention to this I know you didn't and I didn't bring it up but it said that Peter was staying verse 6 if you look at that I want to look at chapter 10 verse 6 I want us to read that because there's something in there and if you don't know much about Jewish culture you'll pass right over it chapter Chapter 10, verse 6. Go back one verse. I want them to read that with me. God is constantly breaking down barriers. Everybody let's read that together. It says he is staying with Simon the tanner whose house is by the sea. Now leave that up. Why is that important? Because what does a tanner do? A tanner is what we would call today a taxidermist. Somebody that kills animals or gets dead animals and puts their skin out and their hides out to make clothes and all sorts of things. But there's just one problem that Jews can't touch dead stuff. It's considered unclean. So Peter is staying with somebody already that he's not supposed to be quote unquote staying with. I submit to you that the gospel will take you into places that some of your friends might not want you to be in. The gospel might take you into some places that other people might turn their nose up at you. He is staying with Simon the Tanner. He is staying with somebody whose job leaves him every day ceremonially unclean. But Peter is starting to get the picture. God is slowly building on his heart. And as we get down to verse 9, we see that as Peter begins to pray that he falls into a trance. And the Lord brings down the sheet out of heaven. And it's full of animals. But they're all the animals that Peter is not supposed to touch. And he, Jesus says, rise, get up, kill, and eat. Now, if God has given you a vision and he gives you a command, you might think that you might want to do what he said. But that just shows how sometimes our biases can be so psychologically ingrained in us that even when God speaks and tells us to do something, it doesn't fit us culturally. So we'll say, that can't be God. That's outside of the norm. Yeah, no, God only works in Southern Gospel and CCLM. He can't work in rap. No, He won't do that. Because it's outside of our culture, it's outside of the norm. But God is not concerned about our culture. Because there are people of all nations and all cultures that need the gospel, and they don't all listen to the same music. And they don't all dress the same way. And they don't all look the same way. And they don't have the same political leanings. And they don't have the same socioeconomic status. But it didn't say that God just died, uh, died for those who, who we would like. But it said that God so loved the world. The whole world. Rise, kill, and eat. And he says, no. I like what he says. He tells God, surely not, not just no, <laughs> but if you look at verse 14, Peter said, surely not, Lord, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Surely not, Lord, I've never done anything like that. That's, that's beneath me. We've always done church this way. You mean you want me to close the doors and go down on the street corners and, and, and peruse with the people who are dirty and and smelly and not even worry about coming to church on Sunday but that but we just go out and pray for people on the street corner that 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 got tracks in their arms and are dressed like ladies and men of the night that's that's that surely not lord you wouldn't want me to be with those people that goes against everything we've been taught We go inside the four walls of a building where everybody dresses up and looks nice. And they come here and we all look good together, sing the songs everybody knows, feels good about it, and then we go home feeling like we've done something and we've been doing that for years. Surely not, Lord. Surely not you wouldn't be telling me to fraternize with people who do things that I never do. You see it in the text? And the voice of the Lord said a second time, I want us to read this, verse 15. Let's read that. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. I don't know, Brother Bob, but do you know anything that's so dirty God can't clean it up? Brother Denny, do you know anybody that's so messed up that God can't save them? Hmm. So, God is saying, I died for the world. I want my gospel to go to everybody. Don't you dare look down your nose at what I created. I'm not worried about the ones in church. They are right. They look like they need to look. I'm worried about the ones that don't look like they need to look and don't act like they need to act and don't know what they need to know. I'm not calling you to be a social club. I'm calling you to be salt and light to the people that need it. And you'd never keep salt in a box. But it amazes me how we as the church at large are masters of keeping salt in the box. We love to, we know how to get salt in the box. We got lights and all sorts of programs and all sorts of things to get people inside of the box. And we feel comfortable when everybody's in the box because all the salt looks like the other salt. But what happens when they say that the box is closed and you can't come in it no more? Wonder what you're going to do Maybe God wants the box closed sometimes. Because if he closes the box, maybe the salt will get outside. Maybe the salt would follow his commands because he says, go out into the hills and the highways and the hedges and compel what man to come. He never said put on nice pretty programs and and, and hope somebody comes in and and you showcase your church and show them how nice your church is and hopefully they're so impressed they stay. He said no, go out and compel men to come. He talks about a feast and a banquet where a man says go out and invite everybody to come and everybody shunned the, the, the owner of the banquet and they said they shunned you and he says I tell you what you do, don't worry about them just go out into the hills and the highways into the hedges, and you get whoever will come. I don't care if your dress is too tight. I don't care if you were on drugs the other day. I don't care if you, if you were this or that. I just want men that will love Jesus. I just want women that will love Jesus. And if you love people where they are, you can love them out of what they're in. Do not call anything Impure. that God has made clean and it happened to him three times and as it finished with the vision he said there are three men at the door waiting for you (laughs) I submit to you as well that if you have a life of prayer you can be prepared for what God is going to send you away God is constantly speaking the question is are we postured to hear What's the posture? On your knees? If you can't get on your knees, you bowed in your heart. Prayer you pray. Prayer is not a one-way dialogue. Prayer is not a soliloquy where you stand out like you're on Hamlet or Macbeth and you start to say to be or or not to be. That is the question. And you just begin to give God a a long soliloquy of requests and begin to talk to God uh, real dignified. But no, prayer is a conversation. Things go up and things come down that I pray to God, but I wait for him to respond because I'm waiting for him to give me guidance on what I should do. Don't go anywhere, guys, until the power comes. Don't go anywhere until you heard for me that's why prayer in the church is more important an element than anything because god has a purpose for every person and every church but we cannot live out our purpose if we are not listening and in tune to what god is saying the bible said he that has an ear a spiritual ear let him hear what the spirit is saying to the church if the spirit is not speaking to the church it's not because the spirit is not speaking it is because the church is not listening Ask yourself a question. What is God saying to me tonight? Where is my heart burning and giving me passion and purpose? What is he calling me to do? Lord, I'm listening to you. Some of us have to be like Samuel and say, speak, Lord, your servant. listens." This happened not because Peter talked, but because Peter listened. This happened not because Cornelius talked, but Cornelius listened. He followed the instructions that were given him. Isn't it wonderful that sometimes we feel like God is not working out our situations and while we're praying to God over here, God is talking to somebody over there about what we're going through or what we need and God has already got it worked out. We just don't know it. He's telling you, I want you to go to Simon. He's in the Tanner's house and he don't even know you're coming. But by the time you get there, I have it all worked out. Some of us haven't moved in what God has called us to in ministry. Oh, Jesus. Because we can't see what God is doing. But if you just start moving, God said, I'll work it out. If you just move, I told you to move. And if you just move like I told you to move, when you get where I told you to get, I'll provide what you need when you get there. But I'm not going to give you the provision just to sit on it. But if you move like I told you to move, I'll provide like I told you that I would provide. I've come to tell you that I've seen God provide many times when we've stepped out on faith and not known what we were going into. And I've never seen seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed beg bread, even when it looked like there wasn't going to be provision. I don't know who I'm talking to, whether you're in this room tonight or whether you're on the online later on, but I'm calling you and letting you know that God is calling you to move. And if you're going to listen to him, stop waiting for the provision and start moving and you'll walk right into what God already has set up for you. When he gets there, the Bible says Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and his close friends. He wasn't selfish. He had a family and friends day at his church. He didn't just show up to church to soak up the sermon by himself and get a good meal and fellowship and go home. He brought people with him. He was a lender. Very rarely do I see Linda show up to church by herself. I believe she has the gift of evangelism. She might be a little bit more so than the rest of us, but at the same time, ask yourself a question. When's the last time you brought somebody to church with you? When was the last time you brought your friends and you brought your family? Because you didn't just want to soak it all up for yourself but you wanted them to get some too. That's the type of person Cornelius is. And as Peter begins to pr- pr- preach the gospel, Peter says something that is very transparent. He says in verse 28, and I'm almost done. You are well aware. Hmm. Let's read that together. Let's read. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Leave that scripture up for a second. You can take it off the screens uh, online, but leave that up there. I want you to really look at what he's saying. What Peter is saying is, I'm uncomfortable. This is not comfortable for me. This is not how church is usually done. This is not how we usually do it. These are not the songs we usually sing. This is not the usual venue. Do you remember when we were doing parking lot service and the church was growing some just from doing parking lot service because it was something different. And I'll never forget that Victor walked over to me and told me something. I wasn't even looking. I was preaching and for some reason I I had a part in my sermon that had to do about running the race and I was supposed to put at the beginning of my sermon and I I forgot about it and all of a sudden it came up to me and I saw a gentleman that came by and I didn't even notice And, and Victor said, the guy said, I was walking by and all of a sudden he didn't see me but he started talking about running the race and I was running so I stopped and I decided that I listened to what he had to say. If you just do some things out of the norm, he is saying this is not normal for me. This is not usual for me. It's against our law even for me to do this. I'm breaking our laws. I'm breaking our religious traditions. I'm breaking thousands of years of culture and socioeconomic norms. I'm doing things in the church that have never been done, but God has shown me that I have to be all things to all people that I might win. Chapter 3 of Tom Rainer's book talks about it's not about me i'll give up my personal preferences if it'll help somebody else come to jesus i'm I'm paraphrasing peter saying i'm outside of my comfort zone i don't know who i'm speaking to right now but god is calling you to do something and he will bless you if you will get out of your comfort zone there is no growth in your comfort zone You will not grow in your comfort zone. I bought my daughter uh, a plant, and the plant, she said, Daddy, the plant will not grow anymore. I keep watering it. It will not grow. And she loves plants. Haley loves plants. I said, Baby, you can make the plant grow. She says, Well, how do I do it? I said, First, you got to take it out of that pot because it can't grow any further than its root system, and the pot's too small. And if you really want it to grow, what you got to do is you got to take it out and put it in a bigger pot. And it actually looks kind of funny when you do it because you got this little plant in this really big pot. But don't you know she has a really big plant right now? God is trying to spread somebody's roots, but they're, se- they're trying to play it safe. <coughs> they're not walking by faith. They're trying to stay in the nice little comfortable pot that they used to. And they think they're going to grow or their ministry is going to grow. And God's going to expand their ministry by being comfortable and safe in that little pot. And God is saying, I'm calling you to walk by faith. It's time to get out of that little pot. You waiting for your church to be blessed, but you're the blessing that's sitting on the blessing. You're sitting on the blessing. If you do what I called you to do, the residual will bless your church. It's time for a bigger pot. It's time to get out of the comfort zone. It's time to get out of the norm. And when he got out of the norm, he begins to give them the gospel. And as he gives them the gospel, he says in verse 34, Now I realize that God, how true it is, that God does not show favoritism. Let's read that again. We need to hear that. Let's read that together. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. God doesn't care which way you pull on the ballot box. He doesn't show va- favorites. He likes the independent just like he does the Democrat and the Republican. He loves them all. He died for them all. You don't get special favor from him. how you vote now i would hope that you let the bible guide your principles and that you vote according to what god is calling you to do towards the word of god but guess what it's time for the church to stop being so divided over politics as dr tony evans would say god doesn't ride on the backs of donkeys and elephants God doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't show favoritism just because you got more money than the other person. (laughs) He doesn't show favoritism because you've been in the church longer. He loves all of his children. Red or yellow, black or white, they're all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world you're one of his children he loves you aren't you so glad that you didn't have to do an interview for him to love you that he didn't have to look at your credit report or your bank account statement matter of fact all the things that were on your statement sin death lust flesh all those things he gave an accounting term that said the balance is paid in full he paid everything for you He cleans your credit history. Verse 35. But accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. God fills the churches and he's filling this church and he will continue to fill this church with different people from all walks of life and that's the beauty of the church it's good and it's okay to have people that you have something in common with we all want something in common and we all like it when we have friends that we can we can make sure that we click with and we like some of the same things and we can converse and we, we, we have good conversations and fellowship is good, but we also have to be mindful that we can't put ourselves in an echo chamber and only surround ourselves with people like us, that we have to get out of our comfort zone in order to minister to people. Paul says, I have become all things to all people that I might win. So last thing and we're out of here. I thought this was amazing that when Peter began to speak, he's preaching the gospel. He hasn't given an invitation. He had not said, come up and find Jesus or anything. But verse 44 says, while Peter was speaking these words, let's read that. While Peter was speak, still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message but Lord, that's not how it works. We're supposed to wait and then the pastor's supposed to give the invitation and he's supposed to get the mic to Brother Dave and Brother Dave's supposed to tell people to come up and people's supposed to come to the altar and when they come to the altar, they're supposed to cry and somebody's supposed to come over here and put this, these things on the eye and they, they're supposed to get saved. Isn't it amazing how God doesn't pay attention to eye shape, form, or fashion. He does what he wants to, how he wants to, when he wants to do it. He moves however he wants to, whenever he wants to and he doesn't bother to ask you if it's proper protocol because he who makes the rules can break the rules he who made the laws can suspend the law God can save whoever he wants to whenever he wants to however he wants to and he doesn't ask our opinion about it glory to God because you know whether you know it or not there are some people that wouldn't be happy that you saved There's some people that wouldn't be happy that you going to heaven they don't even know you but they don't like you but thanks be unto God it doesn't matter what other people think that God didn't ask anybody before he saved me he didn't ask anybody before he healed me. He didn't ask anybody before he delivered me. He didn't ask anything, you know, anybody before he, he lifted me up. He didn't ask anybody before he restored you. He didn't ask anybody before he healed you. He said, it's settled in heaven and it shall be settled. God is doing some things. And he's trying to increase your faith. Don't be scared for what he's trying to do in your life. Be prayerful and listen. So you'll hear him correctly and you'll move when he says to move. And you'll do what he asks you to do. Don't forget your challenge. Find somebody tomorrow to bless that can't pay you back. And don't tell anybody. I know you want to call your friend and say, hey, I did it. I did something good for somebody. But don't, don't tell them. I know they'll be excited about it. Robin and I did something the other day, and and that person was trying to tell it. And I was like, shh, don't, don't don't, No, 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 no. I don't, I I want God to see this. Why? Because the Father who sees in secret. will reward you Openly. I pray God's blessing on each and every person in this room for your faithfulness to the gospel, for your faithfulness to show up, and for your faithfulness and for your humbleness to say, even though you may have been in this church longer than I have been alive, or in the church longer than I have been alive, that God, you can use anybody, and I'm willing to listen, and I'm not so high mighty that I think I know it all, and that I won't listen to your word. I celebrate you for that. It is that humility that God will bless For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word tonight. And I pray that it hits where it needs to hit, touches where it needs to touch, encourages and builds up where it needs to encourage and build up. Oh, God, I pray your blessings on all those people that are here tonight those that need your power, Lord God. We pray for all those who are sick and in need of healing, God, those that we do know and those that we don't. Um, Lord, we say a a special prayer for the Conaway family who is going through a really tragic time right now, God, and we want you, Lord God, we want to send up our prayers that you put your arms around them and keep them in your care. Lord God, touch Charles. Keep him strong. Keep his family strong in this tough time, God. We pray for all those who are among our fellowship who need a healing touch that you will continue to heal. And we pray the prayer of faith that your word will spark faith and action in our hearts. And Lord God, we pray your blessings until we come to this place again. In the name of Jesus, I declare that your people are blessed in the city and the field when you come and when you go. And that all the soul, where well your soul or your feet shall try it according to the will of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Shall be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap tonight.